What makes a great leader great? How do we create a high-performing team? And when we say leader, we mean everyone, because everyone is leading their own life. Will yours be a life by design or a life by default? Those are the big questions, and this podcast will answer them. Welcome to the Becoming Your Best podcast, where we help you apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders, because great leaders will produce great results. Welcome back to our Becoming Your Best podcast listeners. First of all, wherever you are in the world, we want to say thank you for being here today, and I hope you're having a great day. And whether you are or not, part of the reason for doing this podcast is to help you have a great day. (laughs) And so in the spirit of good, better, best, we're going to see if we can make your day better. And I have a great guest on here. I had the chance to be on his podcast months ago and really is this someone who I look up to. You know, you meet those people every once in a while who you just say, you know, that is a really sharp person. And that is John Ramstead. I was so impressed with him when I first met him. Maybe that's because he's also a former fighter pilot. <laughs> we have that bond, even though I think it was the Navy, right, John? That's correct. Navy, so, absolutely. So F-14. we'll forgive the Navy part of it. That's all right. You know, we'll keep that aside. And Well, we'll forgive that you landed on a runway and I had to land on a ship. <laughs> <laughs> My whole goal in life was never to land on an aircraft carrier. But anyway, we're grateful to have John here with us today. And, you know, he just released a new book, On Purpose with Purpose. All of our listeners know we talk a lot about vision and things around that. So it's going to be fun to hear this from a different perspective, you know, new ideas, new thought processes, and and just a different perspective. And so first of all, John, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. And maybe you can just give our listeners a brief background on who you are, if that's all right. Sure thing. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here and spend some time with you. The first thing is uh, I'm coming up on 32 years of marriage to just my best friend, I got three boys, a grandson, a daughter-in-law. Family is is huge for me. Grew up in Minnesota. Went to college on a, a Navy ROTC scholarship. I graduated a year after the movie Top Gun came out. So that was in the <laughs> late 80s. So it was a crazy time. But I got to tell you, it was an amazing journey going through flight school and getting to fly the F-14. And then what happened is I actually got orders to go to Top Gun, never got to attend because I was playing softball, Rob, with our squadron team. And I got hit in the eye with a line drive and had a little bit of nerve damage, but enough where I lost my medical. That was a very hard transition, as you could imagine, when it's when a dream is just taken away from you. But what that led me into business and being an entrepreneur, because I found out I wasn't a very good employee, mostly because I was just kind of angry at life at the time. But you know what? It was an amazing run. So building and selling technology companies, going to Wall Street. I was starting another company in 2011 and had an accident that should have killed me, put me in the hospital for the next two years, 23 surgeries. That was nine years ago. It's been a very long recovery, still not back to where I was before the accident. But in that, I had to change and relearn everything. I had a severe brain injury, but I had to learn how to walk again and talk again, and but here I am. So there is a lot to unpack. There's many highs and lows, but you know your whole podcast about becoming your best. That honestly became my quest after the accident when I realized I should have died, and I was sitting there imagining my funeral and what would people say. 
you say all the good stuff, like you imagine all the good stuff, right? And, but nobody gets invited to a funeral at church unless, you know, they're going to say the good stuff. But then I figured, you know, what do they actually say afterwards? And what would they say one or two or three years later? And then I realized, you know what, I, I was kind of convicted, quite frankly, that I had not been my best through my life. I'd, I'd been focusing on my goals or pleasing others. There's so much we could probably dig into, but I love this concept because I really feel, and that's what my whole book's about, when you become the best or a better version of yourself and you close that gap between who you kind of see in the mirror and that best version of yourself, all of a sudden your influence, your relationships, your work in the world, that sense of purpose, everything got clear and just expanded. So love what you're doing, my friend. Well, what a background. And you know, I'm excited to talk about this. And one of the things that I love about books, I mean, obviously we've written books, we're passionate about this, is when you read other people's books, you're taking a lifetime of knowledge and experience and being able to assimilate it, you know, in the matter of a few hours, what has taken someone a lifetime to acquire. You know, I'm sure so many lessons from your accident are packed in here. I'm sure so many lessons from, you know, your previous accident, everything that came from that. And as hard as a statement it is to make, I believe that everything works in our good or for our favor. That doesn't mean things will be easy, but some of these lessons that we can learn through life only come through experience. And sometimes that's not easy. And so I would like to talk about your book because I know you have a lifetime of experience packed into that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the title is On Purpose With Purpose. Is that right? That's correct. On Purpose With Purpose, Discovering How to Live Your Best Life. Okay. So let's talk about that. You know, what inspired you, first of all, John, to write it? I mean, I'm sure some of these things that you just addressed played into that. And then why does this become so relevant now? I mean, I agree with you in everything that you said about purpose and vision. From your perspective, though, what inspired you to write this and why is it so important right now in today's world? Let's just kind of juxt- juxtapose. Is that the right word? Yeah, that's, that, a good, that's a good word. That's juxtapose a, or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a multisyllabic word. I'm a pilot, so I should probably avoid using multisyllabic words. But before the accident, and this is how I describe it in the book, I got to this place that I describe as just smoldering discontent, Rob. Because I was at the top of my career, I'd been, you know, as an entrepreneur and business owner and started some nonprofits. And here's what I realized looking back on that period of time, like from the outside, everyone would have been like, you know, John, you're doing great. Like your, your company's growing. It was a small company, but, and you're doing this and you got, you know, you're married and you got these kids and, but I was miserable. And why was that? What I realized, Rob, I was living under the tyranny of they. What did they expect? How did they define success? How did they think I should show up? How did they think I should spend my time? And because I was, I was trying to meet this standard of excellence, the standard of success, and nothing was being driven by like a deep need or a deep passion or an outcome that I wanted to create. And what I didn't know it, what I wasn't aware of at the time is that if you don't have your own plan, if you're not living on purpose to get to a meaningful destination, then guess what? You are fulfilling that role in somebody else's plan. And I think that is why I felt so disconnected. And I didn't know how to compensate. So all I did, Rob, was just work harder mm. and then work harder and then do more and then volunteer more. And I didn't say no to anything. And I didn't realize at the time that when I say yes to something, I'm actually saying no to something else like a great marriage like great relationships with my kids, like having really good health. And as I recovered coming out of one of the most horrific accidents, I literally, I should, we can talk more about it if you want, but I should not be here. I had my, almost my entire body crushed, my chest up, my skull was crushed, neck broken. 
And in that recovery, I realized I had this opportunity to rewrite my script. I was 46 years old. I just turned 55. I said, what would it look like for me to live a life so the use of my life would outlive my life? And in a way that I just had extraordinary marriage and relationships, made a difference in this world, had a, a business that people loved to be part of, right? That I was finding people's unique value and launching them into what they were meant to be and be that person they look back on and go, man, I'm so glad that I got to work with John or work for John. And he was that mentor because I have some of these amazing mentors in my life. So I had to go through this very long process of rebuilding two years after the accident when I got discharged from the hospital. Because of my head injury, I could literally only work um, eight or 10 hours in an entire week. That's all I could do. That's all I had the energy for. So I could not go back to working in a company. And I'm like, what do I, I don't even know what to do. Like my wife had been my caregiver, Rob. So she couldn't go back to work full time because I still wasn't in the place where I could just independently live. I couldn't drive yet. And that's what actually led me to get like, hey, I could use all my life and my experience into helping other people and being a leadership coach. But how do I do that when I still got all this other stuff I'm dealing and going through? And here's where the book came about. This was about two years after that point, a client that I was working with, and we had just had, he had had transformational results in his life, his business. And I, I go into, I have a meeting with him. He's like, hey, hey, John, today's about you. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm the coach. He's like, no, no, no. He goes, you have walked me through something that I don't think you're aware of, a process that's just led to these great outcomes, the outcomes that you have. And I think you're just doing that because it's coming natural. But I want to kind of figure it out. We spent two hours on the whiteboard and we actually looked at everything he and I had done, what I do with other clients, that process I'd walked through in my life. And it was out of that, sitting on that whiteboard, I'll never forget that day. This guy, Roy, has become one of my closest friends to this day. That was the genesis of what became on purpose with purpose. Oh, I love it. What a what an awesome background. And you know, I'm just sitting there listening, John, and I know everybody has their different spiritual backgrounds and beliefs and upbringings, but I believe that we're here for a purpose, that it's a temporary time, however long we get on this earth, and that there's life after this, and that there's a lot more to be lived. You know, I'm just listening to your story and my mom, and some people know this who listen to this regularly. I've I've shared it a couple of times. My mom passed away from early onset Alzheimer's in December of 2020, so last year, you know, eight or nine months ago. Mm -hmm. And we watched this slow, slow decline. How old did you say you were? When the accident happened, 46. Oh, no. I'm yeah, 50, right now. 55, 55 now. I'm 55. So yeah. she was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's at your exact age right now, 55. Wow. And it took her 10 years to go that, through that decline until she passed away. And people loved her. She was a brilliant lady, valedictorian. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about her. And I remember standing in her closet with my other brothers and sister after she had passed away. And our job was, you know, to clean out all of her stuff. And it was a real epiphany for me. It was a learning experience. I always knew it right here in my mind, but it was a learning experience for my body, soul, and heart because I realized she's not taking any of that with her. Mm. You know, her, her special earrings that she got in Spain, they stayed her favorite dress. It stayed. And all of these things stayed. The only thing she took with her was who she became and the relationships that she had formed in the people's lives who she had touched. That's it. Everything else had stayed. And so I think oftentimes, where is our focus? And you had talked about your background, you know, it was all for other people and, and all of this. So you're writing this book. And I think a lot of people struggle with this. What is their purpose? You know, why are they here? What, 
What is their purpose? And why do you think so many people feel like that, feel unsure about their purpose? Because this is something I think we all need to figure out with the time that we have. Well, you know, everything you do is the root, is, is the actual solution to that disconnect, becoming your best. Here's what I mean. Before the accident, I was honestly, I was trying to find that purpose, that sense of calling, like what is my big why? And, you know, that, that vision, that mission, those, I do those exercises at retreats. Like I could write that for my company, but writing one for myself was really hard. I'll be honest with it. And I honestly felt like I was either not worthy to have one or I was yet unequipped to dig it out. Like it was some buried treasure and I didn't have the tools or the experience or the wisdom. And I got to tell you, it was frustrating. Now, here's what happened is I realized I was going about it backwards because I figured out, hey, you know what? I got to figure out what I need to do. Then I can figure out who I need to become and what skills to learn to then accomplish that. And as I recovered and I started working on this, because you know what? I was laying there in the hospital. I'll never forget this. I was laying there in the hospital bed. And this is um, because at the accident, I literally had my skull crushed and neck broken. I should not be here. I had in it, one of those near-death experiences. God showed up and I was standing in his presence. It was the most intense and powerful, unconditional love that I've ever felt. It was life-changing in that moment. And I was told, you know, actually one of the things that uh, was shared with me is that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. So I'm just sharing with you. I mean, this is just what happened, right? This is factual for wherever folks you guys come from, from a faith wise. But what that did for me, though, here's what it gave me is hope as I recovered that maybe tomorrow could be better. And sometimes tomorrow wasn't. And then the next day and then the next day. But I'll I'll never forget, Rob, I'm laying there in the, the bed and the neurosurgeon comes in. I have seven IVs in my arm and he looks at my wife and he says, you know what? We got to do a craniotomy. We got to take off John's entire skull and try to fix this stuff. And the, what I'm hearing in this conversation is that the chances of me surviving the surgery are very low. And he asked my wife, do you, does John have a will? And more importantly, a living will. I'm like, Oh boy. And so she goes off to get that for the doctor before the surgery. And, but I'm alone in my room. That's when I started playing that video about my funeral. And I realized It's not about what I do. It's about who I am. It's about the being. So let's think about it. Here's what I've come to know is that when we get in touch with that best version of ourself, as I was on this quest, like really of self-awareness, of stripping out limiting beliefs, of understanding what my core values were. Uh, understanding what I was passionate about and why that those passions existed maybe in me uniquely. I got to tell you, as I got clarity on on not uh, not only who I was, but who I was made to be, I got to tell you, all of a sudden, it was like the fog cleared on a field and I could see the path forward toward purpose. And I realized the whole rest of my life, I've been going about it backwards. I felt like I had to find the purpose to move into action. And since I couldn't find the, the purpose, then I would just work harder and get more frustrated. And when I reversed that, all of a sudden, things cleared up. And in that, I moved toward a life today, and it's very different than it it would have been had the accident not happened financially, physically, everything. But I got to tell you, I've never been having more fun. I've never felt more fully alive. I've never had such great marriage. So this process for me, what you're talking about, becoming your best, truly is foundational to then being able to connect more fully to that purpose. Yeah. I mean, you just brought it up. 
it's amazing, John, how much we labored over what we should call the company. <laughs> the question was, should we use the word become or becoming? Is it become your best or becoming your best? And we kind of landed on becoming because we realized this is a lifelong journey. This is a process. I'm not sure that we ever do become, quote unquote, because it's a lifelong journey as long as we're here. And, you know, to that point, I tuned into a word earlier that you shared. Along the way, we've really come to value mentors in our lives, coaches, mentors, you know, friends, maybe, whatever word you choose to use for that. So I want to talk a little bit about mentorship with you here. You know, that's mm-hmm. going to tie into purpose. You know, you mentioned that friend of yours now that you worked with. I think Roy, you said was his name. Yep. Mm-hmm. Would he have been able to do it without you? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know that. But you obviously, as a mentor for him, played a key role in helping him through a lot of things. And he's become a good friend and, and probably helped you work through things too. You know, it goes both ways. So describe the value of mentorship and how do you find a great mentor? Because we talk a lot about this. You hear it. People say, find a group, you know, find a mentor. Well, that's easy if we know the right people and and we know where to go to look. But what about for the people that aren't sure where to look? You know, what's the value of mentorship and how do you find a great mentor? Yeah. So the value of mentorship. So everybody listening, just think about a time in your life that was really challenging, really difficult. And you're looking back on it right now in hindsight. You're going, you know what? I got through that. And getting through that, whether it was healing from pain, making a difficult decision, a career transition, a relationship, you know, melting down. And in each one of those inflection points in my life, you know what? There were people around me. It could have been my dad. It could have been a friend, a mentor. I didn't get, you know, have a coach until recently. You know what? As I look back on my life, every time I ever made significant progress in my life, there was somebody around me. It was seeing in me what I wasn't seeing in myself and maybe believing in me and pushing me to a place where I started to believe in myself more. And what I realized, and, and when I got out of the Navy, remember, I got hit with that softball and now I'm like on my own. I don't know what to do next. I actually met a guy at a networking and a business meeting. And he, you know what? I got to tell you, I, I'm so, I just feel so blessed and fortunate because he just took an interest in me and we just started meeting. His, his name is Jeff Savader. To this day, 30 years or so later, 25 years, we are still in touch and we are still friends. Amazing. But he took time out of his life because he could see that I was kind of a high performing, very in pain person. And he started helping me like understand what, what my gifts are and what I'm good at and what my skills are and what would be a good job. But here's something he shared with me. He said, John, the person you're going to be in five years, you're coming out of the military and I can just tell with you and I talking, you got a lot of limiting beliefs. You, you, you are intimidated outside of that military environment of people that have been successful in business. I'm telling you, I was. They scared me. I, I mean, I had some of the worst meetings ever in front of people that I would perceive as powerful or wealthy. I mean, I've been in combat and landed on an aircraft carrier. And you put me in a sales meeting in front of like some CEO of a company. And I literally was a, a soup sandwich. I mean, it was bad. Just being real here. I've come a long way now. But he he said, listen, you got to reprogram your brain. So it's going to be about, he challenged me to go, hey, go read a book, 10 pages a day. And I wasn't a reader at the time. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And he goes, can I hold you accountable to that? And he handed me a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He said, you got to start replacing the stuff in your head with good stuff. And slow. I have been now reading 10 pages a day for 25 years. Some of the stuff that comes out of my mouth, I don't even know where it comes from. I'll guarantee it's not mine. It's probably from something I heard or I read at some point. And the other thing he said is, John, you have to go find people 
that have accomplished what you want to accomplish. Find out where they hang out. You're going to have to put in the work to build a relationship. But who you are in five years from now is going to depend on who you're spending your time with. You know that Jim, this is before the Jim Rohn quote of, you know, you're the lowest common denominator of your five closest friends. Well, guess what? What I realized was I didn't know anybody getting out of the Navy that was successful in business or sales management or as an entrepreneur. So I could hang out with my friends, but they can't help me. So I had to intentionally go figure out like, hey, how do I put in some effort? And here's how you go find a great mentor. You find some people that you admire and that you respect, and you do something to add value to them. Like as an example, my book, the guy who wrote my forward is Horst Schultz. He's the co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton Hotels. So his book came out called Excellence, and I loved it. I don't know this guy. So guess what? I did a video review, and I sent it to him. I did reviews on Amazon. I reached out to him, and I said, hey, can you come on the podcast? I reached out to him and said, hey, I'm going to write an article that I'm going to submit to Forbes. Forbes never accepted it, by the way. But I said, I want to interview some top leaders as we're going into the the pandemic about how you would handle this. And I was able to have two or three conversations with them, but it took a lot of time and effort to have that first conversation and then the second conversation. And then we stayed in touch. And then I said, would you be willing to write the forward to my book? Like this was my dream ask. And he said, yes, I'd be, I'd love to do that. And okay, so it, what it does, it takes some time and effort. And I'd also tell you folks, Rob, you're probably the same way. A lot of people reach out to me now and then want to be mentored. And you know what? The folks where I just get an email like, hey, John, can I get on your calendar? I'd love to pick your brain. I probably get two or three or four of those a day sometimes. But how about, hey, John, I've done a lot of research on you. And this is something you said really specifically that really resonated with me. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Hey, if, you, if I can never do anything for you, let me know. But let's just say you do get a conversation with, with Rob or me or that person that you'd love to talk to. It's your responsibility, because this is how I always saw it. If somebody's going to give me the time to be mentored, I have to take what they give me and put it into action. I also need to give them feedback. Like if they say, you know what, John, you need to go study this or go have this difficult conversation or, or here's something you need to work on with your, you know, how you're kind of showing up with your team and say, you know what, I had a bad day today, Rob. I messed up. Or, hey, Rob, guess what? I had that same thing happen today and I handled it the best I ever have. Thank you so much for your advice. And so I think that accountability and taking action if somebody's willing to sow into you is, is how you're going to build a relationship. So start with adding value, build a real connection, and then guess what? Just ask. What I'll tell you right now, Horst didn't build a Ritz-Carlton hotel empire. He started out as a low income in a small town in Germany. His first job was a busboy at a hotel and he just loved the industry. Okay. He didn't come from any money at all. And he had mentors all the way along the road. So when you ask these folks to help you, guess what? You got to connect in a way because they've also had help from other people. No, There is no such thing as a self-made successful person. Yeah. Amen. That is just ego talking. That, that, that literally does not exist. Yeah. Oh man, that's such great advice, John. And, you know, you think about it, my wife and I were just on a walk this morning and we were talking about our kids and, you know, how important so-and-so is and what we can do to help them be successful. And we were talking about their friend group and how important their friend group mm-hmm. is to what ultimately they will end up doing and becoming and, and so on. And it's really no different with us as adults, is it? I mean, you use the 
example that we're all familiar with, you become the average of the person you spend the most, the five people you spend the most time with, or you become, you know, the lowest common denominator. There are multiple ways to say that. But the point is, if we look very closely at our inner circle of people, we can usually infer where we're at emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, et cetera, financially. The other part to that that's interesting is, you know, there's the other quote you alluded to, and that is, you'll be the same person five years as you are today, except for two people, except for two things, excuse me, the books we read and the people we meet or who we invite into our lives or go out of our way to meet. And if we make a conscious effort to really make reading a part of our lives and to go out and meet people who inspire us, who make us want to be better, it's amazing what happens. You shared the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, right? My dad paid me $50 to read that book when I was 16 years old and write like a three-page book summary on it. And that was the beginning of what changed my life. And it's amazing what happens when we start implementing those habits. And so I would encourage any of us out there, think about who are the people in your lives right now? You know, is there someone that you feel like could be a good mentor to you? My wife has someone. She's a part of their coaching group. You know, it's this lady, very spiritually focused, that helps people work through thoughts and emotions. And she's developed a pretty large following. But I just thought, awesome. She's taken her as basically a virtual online mentor uh, mm-hmm. or coach. And it's had a big impact. So anyway, I, I thought you just shared great advice right there. That, that's almost something worth well, rewinding and listening to. Yeah. And let me share this with you, too, is guess what? Be a giver first and then you will receive. So if you're in an online group, let's just say you want to build like a side business at home and you're in somebody's group and you'd love to connect to some of the people that are clearly having success. Guess what? If you're in the group and you are like engaging and maybe you're trying to answer questions, you're actually making comments to the best you can, you're actually, or maybe somebody does a presentation and you actually take notes and you turn it into something really accessible and then you post it for the group. Like, with no thought of getting back because you want to have kind of this servant focus. If you have that truly have a servant heart, you are going to, every time I've done that or people do that in my groups, those are the people that I notice. I'm like, wow, this person is such a giver. I want to give back. I want to do reciprocity. Yeah. And I have developed some of the best relationships I've had with just kind of trying to serve people in a community of like-minded people that are ahead of me. And I know that I'm the newbie here. But in doing that, all of a sudden, I started, hey, Johnny, we're going to do a little breakout group. You want to join us? Oh, man, can I be a fly in the wall? I'd love that. So it just starts, honestly, with that servant attitude. I'm not owed anything. I don't deserve their time because they're successful. I have to earn it by adding value to who they are, their life, and what the, maybe the mission and purpose they're on. You approach finding a mentorship with that attitude, I will guarantee you within a few months, you're going to have some amazing people in your life. Yes. Amen to that. There was a guy, we could probably get two to three podcast requests per day. People wanting to be on this podcast. I'm sure you do as well. And, you know, it's not that there's any ill intent, but usually those emails are ignored after you read one or two paragraphs and it's talking all about them and how great they are. And and that, and and there's probably a lot of- you can tell it was cut and paste and they've never listened to your podcast. They're just, somebody's just trying to get their client booked. That's exactly it. And so, you know, nothing against that person. I'm sure they're great, but- you're exactly right. It's like, you know, I've seen this a thousand times. And I remember there was this guy and my, it was my father who did that particular interview, but there was this guy who sent us an email, reached out to us on different social media sites. He put together like this three or four minute YouTube clip of him standing on his balcony, talking about all the podcasts and how each one has impacted him in a different way and how he's perfect for this becoming your best because of his background and experience. 
but it was awesome. He's talking about how he wants to share our podcast on all of his different channels and which episodes impacted him deeply and how he could add value. I mean, it just was so different because it caught our attention. He wanted to add value. He wanted to be a part of it. And of course we had him on the podcast. And so I'm just thinking that's a great starting point to think about, John, is how can we add value to others first rather than just asking and making it about I, 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 us, 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 and we, we, we. So I want to ask you one last question with the remaining time that we have. We only have a couple of minutes left, John. It goes by so fast every time here. I want to come back to this adversity question. You know, you had your accident and maybe if you could take one minute to share what actually happened in that accident, because you haven't said that yet. And I'd love to hear, and I think people would like that if that's all right, but you've been through all of this adversity in your life. And how did you not only overcome those things and you've alluded to different parts of that, but what have been some of your biggest lessons learned? In other words, how do you use those to help others? And what have been some of your, maybe your one or two biggest lessons learned from all of your adversity and your experience. And I think you've touched on that. I'm just asking a little bit more directly that question of maybe take a minute or so to share what the accident actually was. And then maybe one or two minutes to share a lesson learned or maybe a second lesson learned as well that came from everything. So nine years ago, I got invited up to a retreat for a nonprofit. I flew from Denver where I lived up to Montana on a Thursday, Friday. We were going to go horseback riding for lunch and go kind of, have, it was only like 14, 15 of us. And I was on a horse. And uh, Rob, all of a sudden, my horse just bolts and he takes off and I'm laying flat on my back. His rump is pounding me in the shoulder blades. I thought I was going to flip off the back of this horse and get kicked in the head and get, I thought that would kill me. So I, start, I started squeezing with my legs as hard as I can. Now, I'm a dude, so I did not read the owner's manual. Which I'm means not that a you want to go guy. faster. For those that don't ride horses, that means go faster. <laughs> that means go fa- Dude, this guy hit full afterburner. I'm telling you, that he found another gear And I get my weight back up on the horse and I look ahead about 50 yards in front of us and I'm staring at a steel beam corral fence and I can't get him to turn and he won't turn and he won't slow down. And I start panicking. My brain spins out of control. You and I both flown in combat. We've been shot at. We've, you know, we've had crazy, nothing had prepared me for that moment when I just saw doom coming at me and there was nothing, I was nothing I could do. And right in front of the fence, I remember it was the last thought I had was thinking, this is not going to end well. And thank goodness I don't remember what happened next, but he bucked so hard at a full gallop, because people were watching this, they could not believe it. At a full gallop, he bucked so hard, he flipped over, landed on the ground on his side, and slammed it in the front run first. And when he did that, he launched me, Superman, face first into that three-inch steel beam. I crushed the entire left side of my skull. I broke my neck. I shattered my shoulder. The next bar down hit my rib cage, uh, crushed my rib cage. One of the broken ribs punctured my left lung. I woke up on the ground into more pain than I could ever describe. You know, that saying, God won't give you more than you can handle. Rob, it's not true. I'm just telling you that I was beyond literally anything I could handle. And I was yelling and screaming and I didn't know I was even doing that, but people were holding me down. Thank goodness. Cause of what happened to my neck, I had no spinal cord damage afterwards. So just to put things in context, what we found out in, I was in ICU for five weeks and then at a specialty hospital here in, in Denver for a severe traumatic brain injury. We heard from multiple doctors, just the amount of brain damage, coup, counter coup, is literally not survivable. Mm-hmm. I had over 30% of my brain that had, had no blood flow. That is when all of a sudden I was in God's presence and he spoke to me. He took away all the pain that I was in. It was completely taken away. And he told me that he was going to heal me. 
But that first thing he said to me is all things work together for good. And, and I, I got to tell you, that's what I hung my hope on, that I had to believe that. Now, the recovery was not what I expected. I was told I was going to be healed. And that's not, I mean, it was two years, 23 surgeries, some of yeah. these major reconstructive surgeries. I mean, I was either in recovery or about to go into another surgery that entire next two years. It was brutal. There was really bad days. And when you have a head injury like I did, I had no social filters. I had no emotional control. It's called executive functions. Everything compromised. So for my kids, I was not myself. I was this raging, irrational person who looked like their dad kind of used to look. Hmm. So this whole thing was really, really hard. Now in that, my left eye is completely blind from the accident. All the bones shattered and severed the optic nerve to my brain. But I think here's what I learned in that. Here's something that really stands out to me is I, when I was at Craig Hospital with the brain injury, there was other people there and I watched their attitude, their mental attitude, right? I think all of this reading that I've been doing for 20 years helped me shift from, if you guys haven't read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, read that book about a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. It's more seeing the world from a place of possibility. It had served me really well because staying in that place for me was hard but critical because I watched other people start to focus on what happened to them and it defined them and they were victims of something. And I watched them spiral down, Rob, into such a dark place. It scared the wadden out of me. I'm like, I don't want to go there. And I've had some other huge ups and downs even prior to this, but this is probably one of the biggest ones. And I just had to believe that tomorrow could be better. I mean, there was times recovering, like they'd give me uh, morphine. And it would last for about two and a half hours because the pain was so bad. And I couldn't take the next dose till four hours in. And getting through that next 90 minutes was literally this exercise of willpower. And I would look at the clock and I would just try to get through the next five minutes. And I knew that each successive five minutes was going to be worse until I could get to the four hour mark. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. Like literally, like, should I just check out of this whole thing? Like it was hard, but I'm like, maybe tomorrow could be better. And I look back, though, in that all the difficult times in my life, you know what, there was always, you know, there was a time where I came out of the storm and the seas calmed and you could see the blue skies again. I'm like, you know, I'll get there again, even though if it doesn't feel like it, that's what I had to hold on to that and having people around you that loved you, a community, friends, neighbors, colleagues, my wife, my family, my pastor, just Having that community, just sometimes to come in the room and just sit there and be company and not say a word. But in that, I just knew it was, and you know what happened in the accident too for me, Rob, faith was a big part of this recovery, but that's not who I was 10, 15 years ago, but I still got through some big things. So I would just tell people is, guess what? I know if you're going through some, this has been hard the last couple of years and it doesn't feel like it's letting up sometimes. And sometimes that can just weigh on us. And guess what? Just figure out what that next small step you can take today is in the present. Focus on improving who you are and maybe how you think and start doing the best you can do to surround yourself with people that give life versus suck the life out of you. Because I have some people like that in my life that I had to kind of limit access to. Well, John, first of all, thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Amazing story. I hope people will get your book and read it on purpose with purpose. You know, I love your background, sense your sincerity, your transparency, your 
you know, your vulnerable things that you're sharing. And I, I'm hoping that everyone can relate to this. I'm hoping that people look internally at our own lives, including myself, and ask, you know, where are we at with things? You know, what is, what is our purpose? Who are we becoming, you know, while we're here? And so you've just provided so many things that we can think about. And that's the whole point in doing this podcast is to give people ideas, you know, seeds, seeds can come in the form of ideas. And when you plant certain seeds, they can grow. And so I hope this has been able to plant a few seeds in people's minds. And as we wrap up, uh, John, do you have a website or any place someone can go to find you if they would like to social media or a website? Yeah, absolutely. John Ramstead, R-A-M-S-T-E-A-D on all the social media sites. And the website is beyondinfluence.com. And if you go to slash book, we got some special offers there for the the BYB audience. So uh, love to have you part of anything, anything we can do to serve and support you for becoming your best. Let me know. Perfect. So say the website one more time, beyondinfluence.com. Beyondinfluence.com forward slash book. Perfect. And then John Ramstead, and that is J-O-H-N, John Ramstead. So John, again, thank you for being here to all of our guests. We love, we appreciate you. We hope you have a wonderful day and a great rest of your week. Thanks. You too, Rob. Keep knocking on the live. Thank you for listening. Would you like help to apply the 12 principles of highly successful leaders in your life? in your family, or in your organization, call us today at 888-690-8764 to speak with a helpful representative to evaluate your situation and how we can help. Or you can visit becomingyourbest.com. Whether it's a corporate training event, keynote, workshop, trainer certification, or personal coaching, it would be our pleasure to serve your needs. Once again, call 888-690-8764 or visit becomingyourbest.com today.